0: Try and put yourself today in David's shoes. What would you have felt? What would have run through your mind? The man who has set himself against you for a decade has finally come to an end himself.
1: Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. We're in a series about the life of David, looking at the lives of Saul and David. Saul had been persecuting David for over a decade, and Colin, for anyone who has been under persecution or oppression for a really long time, you might think that when your oppressor is gone you might well want to celebrate.
0: Yeah, I know that would be my first instinct. Oh, thank you, Lord. At long last, why did it take so long? And what's so striking to me is that when Saul finally dies, when he's finally gone and David's path to his destiny is clear, instead of that kind of celebration, the love that is in David's heart comes Mm -hmm. out And he grieves and he has compassion. And there's something very important here about how love responds when God in his grace actually gives you the release that you've been praying for.
1: It's a powerful lesson and I hope you'll join us today in 2 Samuel chapter 1 as we begin this message, Grieving Without Gloating. Here's Pastor Colin
0: this tale of two kings is really the story of two people who simply chose very different paths in life and the first book of samuel that we've been uh, following ends with the death of saul you can read it in the last chapter he died very sad story on the field of battle on the same day as three of his sons abinadab malchishua and then of course the one that we know best uh, david's son jonathan they all died with their father In a day of great defeat in which uh, the armies of God uh, were routed by the enemies of God's people, uh, the Philistines at a place called Mount Gilboa. It really was a tragic end to what had been a downward path that we followed in this series throughout the life of King Saul. And then 2 Samuel, and we're going to end the series here today, but just the beginning of 2 Samuel tells us the uh, story of how David became king. If you just uh, glance over to chapter 5 and verse 4, you will find that David was 30 years old. We've got a specific age point, 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 4. He was 30 when he became uh, king, And so if you think about what that means for the time frame of the story we followed, almost certainly David was a teenager when he felled Goliath. And the period throughout his entire 20s seems to have been a 10-year period where he endured nothing but this relentless onslaught from Saul. And you imagine David throughout all of his 20s, He's on the move, hiding in caves, living in forests and all the rest of it as we followed uh, the story. And if you want to know what he was thinking and what he was feeling during these years, you can read the Psalms that he wrote when he was in his 20s. For everyone who's younger in the congregation, got to read the Psalms David wrote when he was in his 20s. And you'll find them, uh, the Psalms that begin in the 50s, 52, 54, 56, 57, 59. All of these Psalms have titles that specifically tell you that they were written during this period in which David was on the run from Saul. They were days of desperate, desperate difficulty. They were days when David, a man of great faith, was saying, God, where are you? He was asking God for help. He was clinging onto God in faith. Terribly difficult 10-year period of his life. Then at the end of 1 Samuel, beginning of 2 Samuel, you have this extraordinary change that comes when finally, after all these years, Saul, the tyrant, dies. And what I want us to look at today in the last in this series is very simply the response of David to the death of Saul. And I want you to think first before we come to the scripture as to how this speaks into our lives today, because it will speak to all of us in particular ways. First, it speaks to us because it's about the end of a difficult relationship. Ten years where Saul has been making life really difficult for David, and now it comes to an end. And all of us can think of relationships. happens when you're in school. It happens throughout life. You'll be able to think of relationships that you wish could have been better. Some of you have experienced this in marriage with a colleague at work, a partner in ministry, and there have been efforts over years. A friendship that seemed to hold a lot of promise and, and you thought, now this is going to be something special. But then that friendship ended up becoming a source of great pain for you. Someone dies in your family or someone who is in some other way connected in your life and, and the pain of what you have felt through that relationship all comes to the surface. The sorrow of all that you felt that relationship might have been and and the regret comes to the surface and you say, oh, it could have been so much different. And now times have moved on. There's been an ending to that relationship. And what might have been is not going to happen. And of course, the death of Saul also marks not only the ending of a difficult relationship, it it marks the beginning of a whole new era that is going to be the subject of the second book of Samuel. The death of Saul, of course, means a new life for David. He can come home now. There's no more hiding in caves and forests, no more running from the tyrant. The day of opportunity now is opening for David. He's going to be the king. He's going to be the best king that God's people ever had in all of the Old Testament. Uh, Israel under David was better by far than anything that the people ever knew under Saul. And so when Saul died, it was a new day. Now, I want you to try and put yourself today in David's shoes. And after 10 years of this agony, the day finally comes when you get the end of this most difficult relationship. And the day that you've been waiting for, when everything that God has been calling you to in life suddenly now opens in front of you. What would you have felt what would have run through your mind? The man who has set himself against you for a decade has finally come to an end himself. And I want you to think about this because there are two very obvious temptations that come to a man or to a woman in any situation where a difficult relationship ends and in any situation where a new era begins. The the first temptation, very obviously, is simply the temptation to self-pity, to start venting your pain. I mean, after all that we've followed and learned in this story over these last weeks, wouldn't it have been so easy for David to vent his pain? Oh, Saul's gone. Now I can tell you my story. Nobody knows the half of what Saul has done to me. How difficult my life has been. Let me tell you what I've endured at the hand of Saul. You'll hardly believe it. Let me tell you about how he threw the spear and on and on. We live in a world, folks, of the expose. Where people feel a need to tell the full story of everything bad that has ever happened to them in all of their lives once Saul had gone, it would have been the easiest thing in the world for David to do that. He could have drawn people to himself. He could have got all kinds of sympathy if he had a candid telling of all the hurt that he had ever endured from the hand of this wretched man. And that's the right way to describe Saul. The temptation in a transition is to indulge in self-pity and to vent your pain. Second temptation is the temptation to self-promotion and to vaunt your triumph. Well, folks, we've all been through some pretty rough times with Saul, haven't we? Good news, he's gone. It's all over. I'm in charge now. And let me tell you, it's going to be totally different. Let me give you my five-point plan for national restoration. You can hear this kind of stuff, can't you? Seize the moment capitalize on everything that was wrong in the past. This happens when a person takes over a business. Happens when there's new leadership in a church. It happens in all kinds of situations. Past was terrible. Nothing was good about it. Now this is going to be the answer. I'm here. So in times of transition, there are always these two particular temptations. The temptation to self-pity, which is to vent your pain. The temptation to self-promotion, which is to vaunt triumph. And I think as these temptations are pretty obvious, and then as we look at what actually happened and how David responded when Saul died, that I think this was actually David's finest hour. Because what David does here is what love does. And it's nothing to do with self. It's not self-pity or self-promotion. You'll notice that self is at the heart of both of these temptations. And so I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel in chapter 1 and for us to see together what love does at the time of a difficult ending and at the time of a new beginning. It's going to give us a window into the heart of God.
1: You've been listening to Pastor Colin Smith for Open the Bible, part of our series on the life of David. And today's message is Grieving Without Gloating. We're in the second book of Samuel, chapter 1, if you're able to join us in your Bible. And if you ever miss any of our broadcasts, you can always go to our website, openthebible.org.uk. There you can download any of the previous messages as an MP3, or you can simply stream them from the website. Also on our website, you'll find Open the Bible Daily, This is a series of reflections with a new one appearing on the website every day, written by Pastor Colin Smith and read by Sue McLeish. It's an excellent way to start the day, and if you have a moment, I hope you'll go and check that out on the website, openthebible.org.uk. Back now to our message, Grieving Without Gloating. Here's Pastor Colin.
0: Well, you notice these very simple things. Number one, here's what love does at the end of a difficult relationship love grieves. And David, verse 17, lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. Now, David was a sinner saved by grace, just like us, but we've seen from the Bible that he was a man after God's own heart. That is, he was a man with a new heart. And a new heart, of course, as you know, is the distinguishing mark of everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a Christian without a new heart. And it is quite clear from the scripture that out of this new heart, David really did love his enemy. Jonathan, of course, Saul's son, was David's great friend. There was a real bond between them. So it's not surprising at all to read here that David lamented over Jonathan. He grieved Jonathan. But what is so striking is to read that when Saul had hunted David for a decade, trying to destroy him and never giving up and never changing, that when Saul dies, David grieves over Saul. He's not gloating, he's not saying, At last, he's grieving that is what love does. A lesser man would have heard the news of the death of Saul and would have said, yes, at last, thank you, God. Why did it take 10 years? Oh, my life is going to be so much easier. But you see, David is a man after God's own heart. And remember what Jesus says to us. What what do you do when you have a new heart? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. David did that. So he grieves at the downfall of Saul. David was always loyal to Saul. We've seen that and proved it when he had the opportunity to take his life. He wouldn't even touch him, wouldn't harm him in any way. He was the commander of Saul's army. How different it might have been if Saul had understood that and, and had got over his petty jealousy and just kept David by his side as his commander. How much good could have come for the kingdom if Saul had sustained that relationship? David hears of the death of Saul and grieves the loss of what might have been. I've had the privilege of visiting Israel as a number of you also have. And most of the sites where a significant event in the life of Jesus took place are marked by some kind of building where people go and sort of place of worship. And one that I will always remember is halfway down the Mount of Olives, as you're going into the city of Jerusalem, there is this uh, building, this place of worship, and it is built in the shape of a teardrop. And it is called the teardrop church. And the reason for that, of course, is that it marks the place where it is thought that the Lord Jesus coming into Jerusalem, you remember what he did. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. If you, friend, have ever, ever had in your mind the idea that somehow God rejoices at the lostness of waste lives, You come in your mind to the teardrop church and you see Jesus, God in the flesh, and he's weeping over lost lives because of his love for a lost person like you. Love grieves. That's God in the flesh and that's how we know who God is that's the love that streams out to you, even as you're pushing God away, as some of you are doing even right now. Love grieves. Do you know, the more you become like Jesus, the more you may find yourself also weeping over wasted lives and wasted opportunities and ruined relationships in family and work and ministry that might have been so much more. Love grieves. Secondly, love covers. Dear, I want to draw your attention to something that the scripture says that is really, folks, very, very hard for us in our culture here to take in at all. We live in a culture where there is a vast audience for anyone who wants to tell a story that will bring someone else down. That's just the world in which we're living. It's very sad. But we are living in a culture in which, because of the sinfulness of the human heart, there is a vast audience for anyone who wants to tell a story that will bring another person down, which shows how far we are away from love and how little we know about it. Here's the scripture that I have in mind. Peter says this, above all, keep loving each other earnestly, deeply, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's what love does. And if love is in you, it will be very common for you to be covering. Multitude of sins in the life of another person that you love. Because that is what love does. So when soul dies... Instead of drip feeding the lurid details of Saul's many, many failures, David speaks only about the good that could be said of him all through this chapter that was read to us. And I want you to notice why David doesn't vent about Saul, not only because of his love, but specifically verse 20 says something quite fascinating. Tell it not in gath publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. You see, David knows that God's people have enemies. There are those out there who hate the church of God and want all the ammunition they can get against anything that carries the name of Christ. Gath and Ashkelon were two of the five Philistine cities. And would they not just love in Gath and Ashkelon, where they hate the people of God? Would they not just love to hear everything that's worst about Saul? And what could they do with copy like that? And Saul says, I will not give it to the enemies of God. I will not give ammunition for the enemies of God to fire in the face of the Almighty so when Saul dies, he speaks about that which is good about this very, very wanting king. Isn't that striking? Do you see how he's doing what Peter calls us to in the New Testament? Love covers a multitude of sins. Brothers and sisters in Christ, think about the sins that God has covered for you. You're going to come to the communion table in just a few minutes' time. And here together, we are going to be reminded of just how God has loved us. And here's how he has loved us. Micah puts it this way. He has compassion on us. He loves us. And what does it look like? He treads our iniquities underfoot, and he casts our sins into the depths of the sea. He covers them over puts them out of his sight. That is what God has done for me. And if you are truly a Christian today, that is what God in Jesus Christ has done for you. He has said, your sins and your iniquities, and there are many for all of us, but he said, your sins, your iniquities, I will remember no more. Now, understand this because it's very important. I speak to my Christian brothers and sisters, all of you who are in Christ. I want you to remember today that you will be in heaven not because you are without sin, but because God does not charge your sins against you. That's the only reason that you'll be in heaven. That's the only reason that I will be in heaven. God has a case that if he chose to, He could bring against you and against me simply on the basis of the last week. That if he were to bring it, would be enough to condemn you and me tonight, today, and to hell forever. And you ask the question, why then doesn't he do it? Why? Because you're in Christ. Because he loves you. Because he has said their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. I will cover them over. So that we read in the scriptures, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Who wrote that? It's a psalm. Take a guess. David wrote it. He knows how much God has covered for him and that that's the only reason he has any standing with God at all. And when you know how much God has covered for you, then it begins to give you a heart of mercy, a heart of grace, even towards the souls in your life who may have hurt you badly. And how wonderfully David demonstrates this here.
1: You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and our message, Grieving Without Gloating, part of our series on the life of David, which focuses on the relationship between David and Saul. We're going to pause the message there, but we'll be returning to it in our next broadcast. So I hope you'll be able to join us then. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners, and we want to thank you. If you'd like to set up a regular donation to open the Bible of £5 per month or more, we would love to send you a copy of a book, You Can Trust God With Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. And Colin, I know this was written by your long-time friends, Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth and Robert Walgamuth yes indeed uh,
0: nancy has long been a friend of Karn and myself as her her husband uh, robert and i'm absolutely delighted to be able to offer this book that they've collaborated on together nancy is a wonderful and insightful bible teacher and robert is a wonderful writer as well and in this collaboration they've brought together a collection of stories from the bible and also a collection of stories From Christian experience. And what these two together do is they draw out how God works in the lives of his children, especially. In Things We Don't Understand. It's a wonderfully helpful book for anyone who's saying, what is God doing in my life? What is God doing in the world? It deals with God's providence and it reminds us that God is the one who writes the story of his children's lives.
1: Find out more, including how to give online at openthebible.org.uk If you've been blessed by today's message or if you have any comments or feedback, we'd love to hear from you you can email us at hello at uk. For Colin Smith and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners. For details, go to openthebible.org.uk. If you feel discouraged today, the story of David will bring you to the Saviour. Find out how. Next time on Open the Bible.